Well, if you have a, a Bible with you, you can open to John chapter 6. We're going to continue our study uh, through the Gospel of John this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, uh, most of the passage we're going to be studying together is printed for you in the bulletin. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. The passage printed for you starts in verse 6. So I'll read the first five verses and then I'll, I'll let you know, signal you when we're uh, starting up with what's printed for us. Um, let's uh, turn now to the Word of God with uh, open hearts. John chapter 6, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. After this, uh, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw, that, uh, th- they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then... And seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then picking up in verse 6 in the bulletin, He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, Would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. By himself. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your holy word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you say to us this morning. And you would also give us hearts of faith that receive the grace that is offered to us in Jesus and uh, give us hearts of obedience that we would do what you have called us to do with glad hearts. And so we pray that you'd uh, grant us this by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we're studying the, the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the five barley loaves and the two fish. And this is actually the only miracle. And there's four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only miracle that's recorded besides Jesus' resurrection uh, in all four Gospels. And uh, if you were with us uh, several weeks ago, 
we uh, introduced that we're in a season as a church where we're talking about the topic of hospitality. And we had a preview sermon into this series where we're thinking about hospitality over, over several months. And uh, in fact, you received in your bulletin a card like this that you can take home uh, to give you some meditation on the topic of hospitality. You talk about this in your home group or maybe with your family or your roommates. And uh, so we're taking a season where we're thinking about hospitality after Easter. Easter is uh, April 21st, the four weeks after Easter. We're going to have a four-part sermon series on hospitality. And uh, this morning, we're going to have kind of a second preview into this uh, topic. And if you were here for the first sermon, you know that the Greek word for hospitality is phylloxenos, which literally means love for strangers. And what the ancient idea of hospitality was that, that uh, every family structure provides resources and love that kind of surround a person. You know, that's the food and that's the shelter and that's clothing, but it's also the relationships and the communication. That, you know, people who know me and love me and walk with me and ask me how my day is going. All of that structure. Hospitality is about taking that love of a family and offering it to strangers, to people who are outside of the family and welcoming it and offering that to them. And um, I'll tell you that if I'm honest with you, I am a little anxious about this series, um, this topic, because, you know, last year we did a similar series where we, instead of talking about hospitality, we were talking about giving, you know, generosity with our money, about tithing. And, you know, there's something about uh, giving away money that doesn't necessarily involve people. You know, you can, uh, you can give your money away and then you can keep people at a safe distance while you give your money away. Hospitality is more challenging. Making people a part of your life who are different than you, welcoming them into your family, into your home, a, there is a new level of challenge that we are, are being called to. And you think of just the sheer number of people that are in our lives that need to be known, need to be loved, need, need, you know, maybe they don't have a family around them, they don't have a community around them, and that's just, just us here, and, you know, we had a first service and the first service, and then you think of all the people that we are connected to in Whatcom County, the people in your workplace, the people in your neighbors, all the people that God brings into to your life, or you are on a sports team, or you do other hobbies in recreation out in Bellingham, all those people that we're connected to, it's just overwhelming, and so to think that we have a call to welcome in people that don't have a community around them, that don't have a family around them. And I'm afraid that coming into this season, this series, you and I are going to be asked to do something that we simply can't do. Well, that question, how are we going to care for all these people, is precisely the, <clears throat> the question Jesus asked in this passage. Here's Jesus. He's with his disciples. They're in this desert place, and there's 5,000 men, it says. So if there are women and children with them, it's probably over 20,000 people that have come after Jesus who have nowhere to go, and they have no food. And it says in verse 5, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus begins a discussion with his disciples saying, asking that question, how are we going to care for all these people? And uh, I think that's the same question that we are dealing, that we face as a church, that we should be facing as a church. And I think that the answer to that question that this 
story gives is the kind of answer that lets us take a deep breath, relax, and know that ultimately people need Jesus more than they need us, but that we play an important role in what Jesus is doing in this community, in Bellingham, and in in the relationships around us. So this morning, I want to give four answers to the question What do I need to know so that I can think about welcoming people in, welcoming people into my family, welcoming people into our church? What do I need to know in order to, so that I can think about welcoming people in in a way that doesn't overwhelm me, a way that doesn't ask me to do something that I simply can't do? And I think that uh, that's a really important uh, question as we enter into the series thinking about hospitality. And so uh, we have four answers this morning. I know I usually give all you the answers at the beginning of the sermon. I'm going to give them to you as we go along this morning. So what do we need to know? Four things. And the first is this. We need to know that we don't have enough resources to care for everyone. We don't have enough resources to care for everyone. And of course, when Jesus says, "How are we going to, where are we going to get bread to feed all these people? Philip immediately says in verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And what 200 denarii is about eight months of wages. You know, it's basically what would feed a family for, for eight months. And so Philip is saying that even if, you, even if we had 200 denarii and we bought bread for that, it, it wouldn't even give everyone here just a little bite. Now, spreading uh, thin our resources, I think, is related to the challenge of hospitality for a church like ours. Because What are the resources that God has given to us to share with people? Well, you know, we have our time. It's limited how much time we have. We have our uh, our homes. We have our possessions. Uh, We have our relationships. We have our relational and emotional capacity of how many people that we can care for. We have our wisdom. We have our skills. And we could say the same thing that Philip says about our resources, that if we tried to spread them out to everyone, they'd be, you know, it's like thin, bre- thin butter on the bread. And uh, it would just, everyone would just get a bite and it would basically do no good to serve anyone. And I think the challenge is that, you know, when people come to a church, when people come to Jesus, they have profound expectations about for the church. And actually you see in, in this passage, you have all these 5,000 people coming to them. And in verse 2 it says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so all these people are coming and say, You know what, Jesus, if I had Jesus in my life, my life would be changed. I, you know, I, I would be healed. And many of us, we came to Jesus. We say, you know, if I came to Jesus, I'd be rest- my life would be changed spiritually. I bet my life would be, my earthly life would be changed in many ways. And so the question for us is when people come here and come into our midst to encounter Jesus, should they expect that? That kind of life change. Absolutely they should. We want them to. Jesus does do that in people's lives. Many people find both deep improvement in their spiritual and their earthly lives. And so how can we embrace that we don't have enough resources to care for everyone while at the same time believing, yes, come to my community where Jesus is and you will find new life, you'll find transformation. How do we do both those things? Say we don't have enough resources and yes, come and have your life changed. Well, I think that leads to a second answer to the question, what do I need to know to welcome people in without being overwhelmed? The second thing we need to know is we need to know 
We are only called to share the resources that we actually have. We're only called to share the resources that we actually have. And, you know, maybe the most charming part of the story is in verse 8. You know, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's this boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And you're kind of like, where did this kid come from? This kid comes up, he's like, I've got some loaves, you know. These, and actually, you know, it's probably like pickled fish. He's got like two pickled fish. And barley loaves, we know, are like, is the grain of the poor. So there's a poor kid who's got not even like the best tasting like cakes that you have. And he's like, I could bring my lunch and if, would that help with the problem at all? And uh, he's very limited in his resources. But he brings them to Jesus, and Jesus uses them to care for the hungry. And I think that there are two kinds of people maybe in our church that this speaks to. So first, some of you may think that you need to give more than your five loaves and two fishes. You, expect, you think that God expects of you, that you are supposed to give more than five loaves and two fishes, even though five loaves and two fishes is all you have. Uh, you haven't embraced the limited resources that you have. If you feel overwhelmed by the number of people to, to care for, you need to become more like this boy who says, I'll give you my five loaves and two fish. That's all I have is five loaves and two fish. Maybe some of you have ten loaves and four fishes. Even if it's double what this kid has, it's still not even close to enough to care for all the people that we are connected to as a community. And, uh, and in the topic of hospitality, what does it look like to contribute my loaves and fishes without thinking it's my job to feed everyone? Well, let me give one practical kind of thought about this. Uh, you know, we're in a season where we're I'm hoping that as a community we'll think about what, what does it mean to have this discipline of hospitality in my life. And, you know, some of you are very obedient kind of minded people. You know, my pastor tells me to do something, I'm going to do it. And so you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to make a list of everyone in the church, and, and not just everyone in the church, everyone I work with, and, and everyone, all my neighbors. And I'm going to go down the list. I'm going to have all of them over for dinner, one at a time. And I need to connect with all of them. Now, if some of you do that, I think that'd be great. Some of you may have the space for that. You know, we have a lot of new people in our church, and we need to have connections with them. That may be a great thing to do, but it sounds a little bit like what Philip is saying isn't going to do much, right? Even if we took our resources and we spread them across to everyone, everyone's only going to get a bite and it's not going to really care for the need. Instead say, who are a few people that I could be like a family to them? Who are a few people that need a family and I could be like a family to them? Instead of going shallow with a ton of people, Go deeply with a few. And uh, for people in our church, this has looked like things. You know, we've had people who've done like foster care and adoption in our church. You know, you bring a child in your home. That is, you can get more like practically hospitality, giving a family to someone who doesn't have a family than being a foster parent. And you will find all your loaves and fishes are going into that kid. And there's not going to be a lot of space left, but you are going deeply into that kid. It's a deep, deep relationship. It means, you know, befriending the lonely. One hangout with the lonely is not really with anything. It's someone who's a regular presence in their life. Or mentoring people who are younger than, younger than us. In all of these things, if you give yourself to people in this way, you'll find that it demands all of you. 
But we'll have to remember that all of us is only five loaves and two fishes. Now, on the other hand, so there's some of you who say, you know, I try to give more than five loaves and two fishes. God hasn't given me more than that. And so I, he doesn't expect me to give more than that. On the other hand, some of you may not be even bringing your five loaves and two fishes. You don't even bring those to the Lord. And maybe that's because you say, you know, it's barley loaves and pickle fish, and no one wants my barley loaves and pickle fish. And that could be a lot of reasons why you think the resources that you have or who you are is not valuable to Jesus. You know, maybe you think in the topic of hospitality, like maybe, you know, I have a small home or something like that, and there's all these big families. How do I invite a big family into my small home? Or maybe you say, I'm a... a you know, introvert, and you want me to go meet strangers? Like, I don't, how do you just go and like talk to strangers and befriend people that you don't even know? That seems really strange to me. Well, I think that often when we think about hospitality, we look around and think, you know, who do I want to have over? Who do I want to be friends with? And I think that's a fine thing to do. Actually, friendship is often born out of hospitality. But that's not really what hospitality in the Bible is. The question is more, you know, who's invisible around me? Because when we look around and say, who do I want to be friends with? We often see the people that aren't invisible, the people that are very visible. But the people we should see are the people that no one's seeing, that's being overlooked. And say, what does it mean for me to befriend them? And that could be here in this church. That could be, you know, in your workplace, someone that's invisible or someone that's in your neighborhood or someone that's even in your extended family. Who is invisible? And when we think that way, what we have to offer seems far more important and valuable when we think that way. And, you know, by the way, if you're a more introverted type person, it stresses you out to think about having people all over all the time. It it seems that Jesus was kind of that way. Because you see at the end of this passage in verse 15, it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You know, he's got all these 5,000 people he's feeding, he's caring for, he's healing, and he needs time away to be with his father. And there's this rhythm to Jesus' ministry of immersed in community and then retreating to solitude. Immersed in community, retreating to solitude. So what do we know, what do we need to know to both welcome people in without feeling overwhelmed? Well, we need to know that, first of all, we don't have enough resources to care for everyone, but we are called to bring no more and no less than our five loaves and two fishes. Third, we need to know that our efforts should be coordinated with the church. Our efforts should be coordinated with the church. Hospitality, welcoming into the outsider, is not the work of any individual. It is the work of the body of Christ. It's the work of everyone. And in this story, you know, the disciples play this kind of intermediary role between the 5,000 and Jesus. So, right, the, the boy with the loaves and fishes brings them to Andrew, and then he brings them to, uh, to Jesus. And then in verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. And if you read in the other Gospels, we know that uh, it was the disciples that organized all the people and put them in groups of 50s and 100s, and he's getting them ready so that they need to be organized in order for Jesus to serve them. And then in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And again, we know from the other Gospels, it was, he gave the loaves and fishes to the disciples, who then brought them to all the people who were going to eat. 
And I think what the disciples represent in this passage is the organized structure of the church. In fact, if you go to the book of Acts, just when the church is starting, and there's all kinds of people who have, you know, the poor are coming to the church. And what people do, the people with wealth would come and give their offerings to the apostles. And the apostles, you know, uh, appointed these deacons who would then distribute the, uh, you know, the resources to all the people who are in need. And so uh, caring for the poor was an organized and coordinated effort. And I think it's the same with hospitality. Hospitality is a coordinated effort. And there are a number of ways that we do that as a church. I think the primary way that we do that in our church is we have home groups. Home groups are, we call them spiritual families, where members of our church meet in each other's homes. They eat together. They pray together. They carry one another's burdens, and they meet throughout the week. And, um, and when you say, like, how does an outsider come into Christ Church and do, begin to experience, like, this place, are, these people are really like my brothers and sisters. Like, if something happens in my life, things are falling apart, these are the people that I know are going to be there and who are going to walk with me. The way that you begin to experience that is, is, in, is in home groups. And, you know, some of you might say, you know, I wish relationships... Being a church family was more organic than that. You know, it feels so structured. You know, we got this one day a week where we meet together. It's on Wednesday and we come for two hours. It all seems very kind of coordinated and contained. Why can't it just happen naturally? And I think one answer to that is Jesus doesn't say that that's how the church works. There, there needs to be organization. And we, that's how Jesus cares for people. I would say in our culture, it's even aggravated more because we live in a very individualistic culture, I mean, the United States as a whole, Bellingham even more, where many people here in Bellingham, they didn't, maybe didn't live here for, you know, generations. They don't have extended family here, you know, and, you know, on the West Coast, we're kind of like independent-minded people. And so it's, we're not used to just naturally being in community. And so we need certain artificial things that like force us into each other's lives, and so I would say, by the way, if you are new to Christ Church and you're wondering, you know, how can I experience this church to be like a family, you know, after Sunday mornings, coming together and worshiping the Lord, the most important ministry as our church is being a part of a home group. And, and you, you, uh, you know, we only have a couple times a year where there's times to sign up for home groups. So when they come, make sure to get involved. Um, and I think when we take all these things together, that I don't have enough resources to care for everyone. I, I can only bring my f- five loaves and two fishes and nothing more, nothing less. And I'm, we're caring for people together as a community. I think that our anxiety about this topic can go down. And in fact, uh, none of, but in fact, none of those observations is the more, most important good news from this pastor. I think all those are good news. They all... Jesus in this passage is recognizing our frailty and limitations. But the most important good news, uh, the most important answer to what do I need to know so that I can welcome people in without feeling overwhelmed is, we need to know that Jesus feeds the 5,000 by his miraculous power. Jesus feeds the 5,000 by his miraculous power. The way people are cared for is Jesus takes our limited resources And he multiplies them to care for far more people than we ever could have on our own. He did that 5,000 years ago. I think he's still doing that today. And I just want to make a few observations about 
this passage as we think about this last point. So first, if you look at verse 10, it says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now that little phrase, there was much grass there, is a kind of a detail that I, I couldn't really see how that moved the story forward, that there's more grass there. And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis has pointed out that adding details into stories is something that we've only done over the last couple hundred years, where, you know, we have these novels that are very realistic. They didn't do that in the ancient world. They didn't have a lot of paper, so they'd be very efficient. And you only put something into a story if it helped move the story forward. And this is what Lewis says. He says, I've been reading poems, romances, vision literature, legends, and myths all my life. I know what they are like. I know none of them are like this. Of this gospel text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage, like this is a report, it's an eyewitness account, or else some unknown ancient writer without known precedent or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic, realistic narrative. What Lewis is saying is when we find little details like this that often show up in the gospel accounts, they tell us that John is recording an experience. He was there. It was an eyewitness account. He's describing what he saw. And so the feeding of the 5,000 is not something that is a legend, you know, that kind of happened in the foggy distant past. These, this, we are reading an eyewitness account of something that John saw. Then it goes on in verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. Now, some of you will hear those words about Jesus took the loaves, and he distributed them to those who were seated. And you say, you know, that kind of sounds like what we do on Sunday morning with the bread, and we pass it out to everyone. Is this kind of an allusion to the Lord's Supper? And if you're wondering that, I would say you're, you're not wrong. The, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' miracles are paired with his teaching. So, for example, when you read in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then John chapter 9, what does he do? He heals a blind man. You know, brings him to light. And then John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. The teaching and the miracle are paired together. It's like a picture of what he's trying to teach. The same is true in John 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with bread. And then later in John chapter 6, we'll see over the next few weeks, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So I think absolutely the story points to the fact that Jesus is continuing to feed not just the thousands, but the millions, the billions of people throughout history and around the world uh, with his bread. Second part of verse 11. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So the bread and the fish are abundantly multiplied. You might say wastefully multiplied. There's leftovers. Everyone's stuffed, and he went beyond, like, how much we needed. And there's all these fragments, these baskets of leftover food. And, you know, if you read St. Augustine on, on this passage, almost the first thing he says, he says, why are you surprised that Jesus multiplies bread? He does that all the time. He does that every year. You know, you take a one grain and you plant it in the ground and what happened the one grain turns into many grain 
That's what bread is. It's just grain. Or you take, or the fish. They multiply every year. One fish lays many eggs. One, Jesus turns one fish into many fish. He does that every year. Actually, it's, you know, the same is true about turning water into wine. Jesus turns water into wine every year. The rain comes down and it comes into the soil and then, the, you know, the grapevine sucks up the water, transforms the water into these grapes. And we smash up the grapes and they ferment and it turns into wine. Jesus always, this is what Jesus always does because he is the Lord of nature. He is showing himself to be the Lord of nature and the way that the Lord of nature rules his creation is through abundant wastefulness. Like, you know, have you ever thought about a cherry tree? How many of the cherries on the cherry tree actually turn into a tree? I mean, you know, one in 50,000? I don't know how many, like, turn into an actual cherry tree. Why are all the other cherries there? Just a, God likes cherries, you know, cherry ice cream, children climbing in the tree to get cherries, a deer walking by that wants to eat a cherry. It's just excess abundance and blessing. That's what the Lord of nature does. Or you just look at the stars in the heavens and you say, well, you know, there are galaxies like you know, billions and trillions of stars, you know, whatever, however many there are. They go on and on and on that we'll never see. Why did he make all those? It's just because he loves them and he delights in them. And uh, what does all this have to do with hospitality? I, I don't know, <laughs> except this, that we meet in these verses the Lord of nature who has come into history, the one who fills every field with grain. Jesus is the one who fills them with grain. You know, have you ever watched Blue Planet? And you're just like, oh my goodness, the, the oceans are filled with fish. Where they all come from? Jesus multiplied those fish. The one who fills the fields with grain and the oceans with fish, he has come to the hungry. He has come to the lost. He's come to the stranger. And the thing that empowers us to even offer our simple little barley loaves and pickled fish is when our hearts and imagination have been captured by him, the God of nature, the God of wine, the God of grain, the God of fish. Which also means if you come to the church hungry, you're hungry spiritually, you're hungry physically, you're hungry relationally, you're hungry emotionally, don't look to the boy who's only got five loaves and two canned fish to satisfy you. He's a sweet kid. We love him. We're glad he's in the passage. But he can't satisfy you. Look to Jesus, the God of nature, who says in Jeremiah 31, my people will be filled with my bounty. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we praise you for these simple stories in your word. Every detail uh, so pregnant with truth and meaning and grace and hope. And uh, we pray that you would train us as a people that have been welcomed in by you. Give us the spirit of welcome as well. Show us what our five loaves and two fishes are. Would we gladly bring them to you and watch you multiply them and use them for your kingdom? Give us rest. Give us peace. Knowing that uh, you know our frame. You have compassion on us. That we are but dust. 
We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.